0: Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in information security, technology, and humans. The idea is content curation as a service. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts. I then take what I learned from that content and turn it into a concise 30-minute summary. So I've decided to remain ad- and sponsor-free. So if you're someone who enjoys the show and can afford fancy coffee, please consider heading over to com slash support. Become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Becoming a member gets you the weekly companion newsletter full of all the links and stories I mentioned on the podcast and helps me to continue doing the show. And thanks to everyone who's already a member. episode 141. This is going to be a pretty massive episode. Sometimes they end up large, sometimes small. I'm not sure really what the difference is, but uh, this particular week we have a lot. One difference is that doing my first AMA response in the newsletter, and now of course on the podcast as well. So there's more content there, but uh, just a lot of stories as well. So going to jump in with security first. The governments of the five eyes, which are U.S., Australia, U.K., Canada, and New Zealand, have asked the world's largest tech companies to build encryption backdoors into their systems. But in addition to just asking for them to do that, they also said, quote, should governments continue to encounter impediments to lawful access to information necessary to aid in the protection of citizens, of our countries we may pursue technological enforcement legislative or other measures to achieve lawful access solutions so they're applying force they're basically saying either you give it to us willingly or we're going to find ways to get it and uh that is a powerful statement a number of people have made comments about this uh patrick gray um over on his podcast Uh, Risky Business, Um, talked about it. Uh, Alex Stamos, who started his uh, first day today, actually, um, as a professor at Stanford, he talked about it last weekend as well. So, um, yeah, really, really forceful language here. Um, And in the wrong direction, in my opinion, I I don't think this is actually going to help. I know what they're trying to do. And... I I think in most cases they have good intentions, but it's uh, one of those cases where policy is complex. And in this case, I think the externalities or the damage caused by such a policy would outweigh the benefits. Number of people have linked APT-10, also known as Stone Panda, which people have long thought was associated with the Chinese uh, military or at least a Chinese group um appears to be associated with the M- Ministry of State Security MSS. So uh that's it looks like a number of people have made that that connection. Wireshark can be crashed with malicious pcaps. Of course we already knew that. Um what I like to say is if you're parsing you are risking because uh parsing is just dangerous. It's you're consuming something from someone else. And software, especially Wireshark, is just uh, particularly prone to this. But the less you know about an input, the more danger you're putting yourself in with automated parsing. Of course, there are ways to mitigate that. I mean, that's a conversation about whitelisting, blacklisting. What do your inputs look like? What do your filters look like? But in general, it should be considered dangerous. Experts now suspect the use of advanced microwave-based weapons in the damage to embassy workers in Cuba. And to be clear, this is not exposure to tons of microwave radiation, which is the first thing I thought when I saw this. It's actually a different kind of technology. It's a technology that has been used to actually throw sound over a distance. So what you do is you you take um, input, like, um, tell someone, Hey, I can see you. Right. And you can actually shoot this on a microwave right at someone's skull, like across the library of Congress or whatever. So so say a hundred or 200 feet away and they're sitting there and it's totally quiet in the room and you bounce it off their skull and they hear someone say in their ear, Hey, someone's behind you. No one else hears this except for them. So, Turns out that the person who demonstrated this actually went to Russia and demonstrated it to them a long time ago, but uh a bunch of governments have been using or figuring out how to use this technology as a weapon for a while. So the current prevailing theory right now is that Russia or uh Cuba or some combination thereof have some of these weapons uh, or at least one of these weapons and are using it to cause brain damage uh, to the people inside of the, um, the embassy. So that's pretty crazy. I mean, that is, and it would go along with the trolling stuff like happening on social media. It's like, how do you find ways to agitate two sides, right? So one side is blaming them for attacking embassy people. The other side is saying, no, we didn't do it. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty interesting story that I'll, I'll be tracking. China is using LinkedIn to find people at important companies to steal intellectual property from. So they're trying to target people. Maybe they have trouble. Uh, There was an example of someone who uh, was behind on their mortgage and they, um, you know, they paid them off and they got them to give them uh, sensitive documents. So IP uh, theft from China, not necessarily new news, but another instance of it. Japan is looking to invest in AI technologies that can predict crime before it happens. Uh, The system can look at traffic patterns, local economics of like the neighborhood or whatever, and uh, many other factors as well to be part of the algorithm. Uh, One of the interesting comments in that story was, um, someone in Japan basically said, look, we're way behind the curve because uh, we don't have much crime. So we haven't been learning Uh, is as fast as other people. So it looks like they kind of want to use AI to catch up quickly uh, since they don't have like the human uh, knowledge capital that other countries might have. Iran is running a serious information warfare campaign campaign, similar to Russia uh, with one major group's mission being the confrontation of Western and Zionistic governments with extreme prejudice. That's my own translation. It was actually a poorly worded uh, thing, translation in English. It's basically, you know, we're gonna oppose the West and oppose Zionists. Um, And evidently they put out tons of content in like 11 different languages. So they're a pretty active group. Uh, Another Chinese American is in trouble for stealing secrets from an American company, in this case, GlaxoSmithKline to bring intellectual property to China. And it looks like it's, this is all being backed by the Chinese government. So in this case, it looks like they were going to, uh, start a company in China and actually use this IP to, you know, to seed the, the company. And the money was going to come from the Chinese government. My opinion is that American companies are being like harvested for IP by foreign governments and China being like the, one of the main ones. and I'm really not sure what's being done about it And as someone who served in the military and like, you know, works in InfoSec. This super annoys me that it doesn't seem like people are taking this seriously enough company called very good. Security is doing an interesting new startup that does on the fly swapping of fake or inert sensitive data in your databases. So basically in your database for your company, you store stuff that looks to your application exactly like the sensitive data that you're storing and that you're using, right? So it's customer data, it's wh- whatever sensitive records, credit cards, uh, PII, whatever, but to the a- your application, it looks exactly the same, but the moment it gets submitted or, or, um, sent to a, a credit card processor, there's a like a hot swap sort of action that takes place. So it's transparently proxied. You you send along your fake token to this company called Very Good Security. It sends um, to the actual credit card provider. It sends the real thing. The response comes back. You get the response and your side of the application doesn't know the difference. So it's, it's basically this proxy system that allows a third party to hold all your customer data, which that's something to think about there, but um, it means you don't have to. And it also supposedly the third party is not able to see that stuff either, which is now possible through, you know, different types of key management. So interesting concept. CIA accidentally exposed access to sensitive government networks due to a firewall misconfiguration. And in this case, it looks like people probably died as a result because they probably looks like they might have revealed actual um, spies working in different places, which is highly unfortunate. China has approximately a million Muslims in internment camps, a million people in internment camps. And according to former inmates, they're being forced to renounce their religion as part of their re-education. Uh, I'm not the hugest fan of Islam or, or religion in general, um, but I, I really don't know why this is not bigger news that that a government that we do open trade with and, you know, everything seems to be just fine or whatever. And I, I don't know, I, I don't hear enough of an outcry, not just from the U.S., which that's expl- explainable right now given the current situation, but... The rest of the world, I don't see people freaking out about the fact that there are a million Muslims being held and re-indoctrinated in internment camps in China. Seems like it should be bigger news. Okay, big metric here. Half of the Alexa top 1 million are now using HTTPS. That is a major milestone. And security advisories, uh, Qualcomm medical equipment, uh, some sort of medical pump had some serious issues. Uh, Air Canada. I've misspelled Canada twice. S C A N D A Air Canada. That's horrible. Air Canada mobile app had a major exposure. I think it was from the backend API. And Schneider Electric um, had a bunch of vulns, one of which was a uh, cross-site scripting on uh, an internet-facing piece of Uh, machinery as far as I can remember. Um, And it wasn't just cross-site scripting. It was some local uh, privilege escalation as well, I think. Uh, Technology news. Musk continues to work on Neuralink. This is super cool stuff. Um, Scary, but those tend to go together. His SF-based company for augmenting the human brain is called Neuralink, and it's basically augmenting the human brain with a digital connection. So they're basically implanting these electrodes on the brain so you can send signals in different ways. Um, to me, I mean, this is not like a futurist or, um, you know, Oh, cool, cool prediction. Everyone understands. It's common knowledge and commonly accepted that the, the end game interface for humans is brain communication with the computer, right? That that's just obvious. What's surprising to me is that we are not really that far along with AR or VR. And he's already trying to do kind of the final step. So massive respect for trying to jump ahead in this way. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if it's going to work, but, but, uh, I'm going to be tracking this really closely because I think this is just really, really forward thinking. Alexa is now integrated with over 20,000 devices and poor leadership is the primary cause of burnout at a lot of tech companies. That does not surprise me. Human news. There are over 5 trillion pieces of plastic garbage in the ocean. Oh, and also, there's another story I'll probably put in next, next week or whatever, but um, it looks like cigarette butts are actually the number one cause, which I find absolutely disgusting. Uh, smokers. It uh, super bothers me. I just feel like it's the nastiest thing. It's gross to other people to have to breathe it. And then most smokers, I'd love to see actual stats on this, but most smokers seem to be litterers as well. And now you find out that most of the garbage, plastic garbage in the ocean is from smokers. That's just gross to me. Um, Anyway, there's this project called the Ocean Cleanup, which is looking to clean up 50% of these Basically, they're giant continents of plastic garbage sitting in the ocean. And they're looking to clean up like 50% of it within five years. And then all of it within, I guess, 30 years. (laughs) So 2050 um, to have it all cleaned. I mean, 2050, who can say anything about 2050? That's just crazy far away. Researchers have found that over 9% of adults in Japan, 22% in America and 23% in Britain feel lonely. They lack companionship or feel isolated. I think there's going to be a lot of different studies on this, but my guess is there are many people staying home and using social media or playing video games combined with a lot more people leaving the workforce where a lot of socializing is actually done at work. So if you're not going to work, um. Yeah, and I don't think that would apply to all the countries, but I, I think there's disconnection from each other through technology That's is one issue, which won't be fixed until we can connect to each other through technology, which is a further along state of VR, which obviously is coming, but who knows when. France has banned students under 15 from using personal technologies such as mobile phones and smartwatches while at school. I love this. I don't, what I wonder though is, um, I want to see some actual studies on divergence, right? I want to see, can we see mental health changes? Can we see changes in grades? Can we see um, polling where the kids say they're happier? Like I would just love to see stark results or, or a lack of results saying, you know, did this help? Um, are we improving mental health? Are we improving focus? My inclination is to believe that both will be true, but you know, that's just uh gut feeling. Commuters in Indonesia can pay for a ride by giving the driver a piece of plastic waste. I think this is a brilliant way to power. I'm not sure. How about that? <laughs> uh, that was um, my friend commenting on the story as well, but she wasn't sure. Um, I think this is a really cool way to power a uh, cleanup effort. Basically, so, so it's obviously government funded, right? Because they're not giving you real money. But the government basically, I don't know, uh, subsidizes not receiving money to provide public uh, transportation, which they were going to provide it anyway, right? I mean, that if it's public, then the government's paying for it. So, um, yeah but you're not allowed to get on the bus unless you're helping clean up litter. That is fantastic. Uh, GDP growth rate has been revised upwards to 4.2%. That's really cool. I consider that impressive. Obviously, I have other thoughts on other things, but won't go into that here. Y Combinator is about to launch a $60 million basic income experiment in two states. This comes as Canada and Finland, Canada smelt, spelled correctly, by the way, and Finland prematurely ended two programs because they weren't working. Um, yeah, so have heard a lot about UBI not working in different places and why Combinator is about to do this. I really hope to see some positive results, especially given that Andrew Yang is going to be running on this. Um, I really agree with UBI as a solution overall. Uh, I I don't I don't think we've hit the right notes to make it work, and I'm not honestly con- convinced that it will work. I mean I, I'm waiting for the data to prove that or not. So um, yeah, looking forward to see what comes out of this Y Combinator attempt. Uh, they're basically giving a thousand dollars to a bunch of people, and then they're. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be a separate group they're going to give $50 to, and that's per month. So see how that works. I think it's like $60 million for the total program. A study in China has shown that air pollution can negatively affect brain function, uh, especially in older people and uneducated men. Uh, They said women are more resistant because they have more brain matter, specifically around verbal function. So I think that's because the testing method was in verbal function, but, um, interesting. Uh, all right. So now going to do the first AMA. So, um, basically I had a bunch of people submit AMA questions, uh, members submit AMA questions from last week, which every other week is, uh, members only. So, uh, that's why the podcast has been staggered every every other week because um, basically the middle one is the member one and I haven't been doing podcasts for that one. Still trying to figure out what the mix is there. But anyway, th- this is what was submitted uh, to me via email uh, by members for the questions. And uh, so the first one here is you recommend a lot of books. What five would you currently recommend as must reads? So these are all very future focused, but if you're listening to this, I don't imagine that'll be a problem. So The War on Normal People by Andrew Yang. This is a book about how basically technology, among other things, uh, specifically automation, AI, are going to have a severe negative impact on um, human happiness, human meaning, and the feeling of human usefulness, uh, which will negatively affect things and, and, kind of take apart the structure of America. And I've written a bunch about this, so you should check out my previous posts on this, but uh, you should also definitely read this book. And this guy, Andrew, uh, got to meet him, uh, I don't know, a few weeks back or whatever in San Francisco and uh, super cool guy. And he's running for president. Actually, I'll probably end up voting for him. Uh, so yeah uh assuming he gets that far i'll probably end up voting for him maybe even participating in some way with the campaign but but uh yeah definitely recommend that book it's a very sort of topical real world kind of thing um super forecasting by philip tetlock is a book about predicting the future um and it's not a futurist book. It's, def- it's not even about tech. It's about how well could you study a current situation, like a political situation or whatever, and come up with sound, logical predictions where you're actually tracking your prediction very carefully. You're tracking how likely you think it is that that thing is going to happen. And you're going backwards and seeing how right you were. So this guy, Philip Tetlock, he did a bunch of these studies and he talks about a bunch of other people have done them as well. And he found massive differences between most people, um, the super experts who actually don't score well at all at, at being able to do good predictions, and then uh, people who are just fantastic, like better than anyone who he calls super uh, forecasters. Then the obvious question is what, what's the difference? What makes people who are super forecasters actually really good. That set of attributes is what's the book is fundamentally about. Uh, then there's Homo Deus by uh, Yuval Harari. And this book is about, um, basically where is, where are humans going? The bed of procrustes, by Nassim Taleb, which is a book of aphorisms, which, you know, I love aphorisms. And Life 3.0, which is a book about AI. And uh, it's by Max Tegmark. Um, and then someone also asked, can you put a permanent link on the site for your top book recommendations? It, it is a good idea. Uh, I'm going to try and find a place for it. I like the idea because it'll force me to maintain a level of perspective when ranking would I read? Cause if I read a good book for like three days, I just think it was the most amazing book ever, right? This is just a bias from enthusiasm, which I don't know. Sometimes I don't like that bias. Other times I do because life is about enthusiasm. Like if you're not passionate about things and you know, might as well close up shop. So, um, now that I look at it, I actually have a previous form of this, which is, um, this unsupervised learning book list, and it was a blog post. So I could potentially just keep that updated. And I, I put the link here in the, in the notes in the newsletter. Uh, what is your workflow? This is the next question. What is your workflow for reading and capturing what you're learning? So I do a lot of audiobooks. Uh, I mixed in with a good amount of Kindle, uh, either on phone or iPad. I don't have an actual Kindle. Probably 70% audiobook. Kindle and like 5%, you know, dead tree. And then since I am still doing getting things done, I've been doing this for like 20 years or maybe more, um, which is index cards and a pen. I always have an index cards and pen with me and I'm always capturing and I'm always ripping up the old cards and copying them over. Um, so I always have a fresh set of ideas and goals, um, always with me. And it's always evolving, just like, the, you know, ripping up the uh, cards is, it's, uh, you know, it's destruction, creative destruction, uh, which allows me to keep evolving. And anyway, that that's why I have the cards. So when I read, I try to capture there and then bring that to the site later to do more formal stuff. Um, and lately I've been like for the last several years, I've been trying a different method, which is Going through the material in a read only mode. So, just blasting through it fairly quickly. And then going back and creating a summary of the book here on the site. So, I start with the things I immediately remember. I capture those. I capture anything they made me think about when I was thinking about that thing that they said. Then I go and find summaries online if anyone's written about it yet. And then I create a short, like halfway decent summary. It's like one or two pages. Using the other captures, um, I look at the table of contents from the book, because I actually have the Kindle version uh, as well as the audio version. Um, so, so I have to buy both for most books, which is kind of expensive, but worth it. Um, and then that all culminates on my slash reading project page, which um, you can find at uh, danielmisor.com slash project slash reading. I'm actually way behind on it right now, but the goal is to have my favorite books that I've read captured there so I can go back and quickly review like if I forget something, right? If I'm talking about a book and I'm like, oh, did you read this book? Oh, how did you like it? And if I can't remember, in my mind, that's a fail. Um, oftentimes, it's not a complete fail. So this, this is an important topic real quick. There's different types of learning that you can get from a book. I could have read or you could have read a book that was great. You can't remember a single thing from it, but it actually, you know, sept into your brain. Is that a word? Is it past tense of seep, sept? I don't know. It it absorbed into your brain and um, it became part of your model of the world. Okay. So you, you could read the book multiple times And, or or just once or read just a little bit of it and still be improved in some measurable way, or maybe it's not easily measurable, but still be improved in some tangible way that, um, that matters. So even if you can't remember anything from a book, it doesn't mean you shouldn't read good books just because you're not good at capturing. So that's the first thing to get off the table there, because a lot of people don't read because they're worried about that. Um now I want both things. I want both to absorb via osmosis in a, in, an, uh, in a tangible but not measurable way, but I also want to be able to recall my top things that I learned from it. So that's why I do these summaries. Um, yeah so so I, I would say that's the way I'm doing it now. I, I'm basically going through in a in a normal sort of natural way, then I go back and build a summary and put it on the site. All right, so next one is someone wrote in talking about a risk rating approach for InfoSec. What do you think of the following approach to rating risk in small to medium-sized organizations using something like criticality plus probability minus complexity or cost plus effort? And my response is that I think this makes sense, but I'm not sure it captures the true nature of the challenge when you go into like one of these companies um the issue is not necessarily knowing how, knowing how to rate a risk of a given individual thing but how to decide what the things are in the first place so to me it's about bigger blocks rather than you know smaller smaller blocks or more specific items so if you start with a system like you have above where it's like criticality probability complexity that type of thing it, i feel like it automatically brings you down to talking about technical vulnerabilities which might actually not be the largest cause of your problems. Like asset management could be way worse. Uh, And and how would you rate asset management using criticality, probability, and complexity? To me, asset management is a massive risk, but it's not easy to quantify in like a CVSS type system. So I, I think the unfortunate truth is that there are certain core fundamentals of security defense that everyone needs. And it takes a significant amount of experience to know within the context of a particular company, how to prioritize those fundamentals for the organization. So for most companies like the CIS 20, um, doing those to any significant degree would help their program far more than most things are currently doing. But the list is often seen as too basic or too hard or some combination thereof. So it's like, oh, we're not going to do that. Um, the real trick is figuring out when you have a specific vulnerability for an organization, like an appsec issue for their site or, or whatever, like a specific acute problem, where does fixing that rank in the priorities relative to ensuring the, that the basics are done? This is the biggest challenge for a consulting, uh, type mindset if you want to come in and help an organization, you have to try to do the maximum good with usually a very limited set of resources. So you have to be able to compare many different types of risk. Maybe there's no security leadership, so all the good security ideas are being smashed by the engineering manager. Maybe the web, website bones are the highest risk and you need to fix them immediately. Maybe the company is about to lose their license to operate and have to close down because they're out of compliance. Well, now compliance is maybe the biggest issue. Maybe the company hasn't hashed their passwords in the main applications database. Maybe the company has no idea what they have facing the internet and you should drop everything and start there. As a consultant, you need to be able to take all of those types um, of risk and tell the customer what to do first, right? This is the highest form of consulting in my opinion. Otherwise, you can get locked into a particular genre of security, like technical or compliance or whatever, and not be able to see them all from above and prioritize them correctly. All right, next one. Uh, You write a lot about happiness and depression. Is there something, is this something that you personally struggle with and or why do you find yourself drawn to the topic? So, despite. Despite the fact that I write a lot about depression, I'm actually more interested and concerned with happiness. And it might sound like a distinction without a difference or whatever, but I see I see happiness as optimizing different types of projects to achieve maximum fulfillment. And that could be for an individual, or it could be for a country, or it could be for a planet, right? As for actual depression, I've not really experienced it myself. I actually had a moment, a really bad moment, uh, back in like 2010 or something where I felt just horrible. Like it it was really, really bad, but it, but it was only for like four hours. I was like walking around my favorite Lake and, uh, I just had like this feeling of dread or whatever. I, I don't know what it was. I, I actually kind of figured it out, but it went away in, you know, a matter of a couple hours or whatever. Um, So it's not something that I, I personally myself deal with, but I do have a lot of experience with it uh, because a lot of my friends and uh, associates deal with it regularly. So I feel like I'm watching it closely, both from like a study, like an internet or reading scale, but also at a personal level with people around me. So I but I, I'm never thinking about how do you get rid of depression. I'm thinking about how to maximize fulfillment, maximize meaning, maximize happiness. Because I, I think that's a just a really cool project. I I feel like it's an ultimate project of understanding humanity and understanding humans and understanding what makes us uh feel value and and feel uh happiness. So That's the way I approach it. Uh, If you don't, I know you don't write about politics much in the show. This is the next question. I know you don't write uh, about politics much in the show, but what do you consider yourself? So, um, honestly, don't know how to answer this well, uh, which probably, probably, probably wondering, well, why'd you leave it in if you don't know how to answer it? Um, But, I wanted to just sort of publicly flounder around and just you know flop around on the, on the deck uh, for, for your entertainment. Um, so I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay area. So my DNA is basically progressive, right? Um, I also believe there's a big disconnect between what progressives want to do with their policies and what they actually end up doing. So um, I also think that humans are very old organisms sculpted by evolution, which took, you know hundreds of thousands of years, um, which means we should be careful when we discard parts of our traditional structures, like religion and family and monogamy and face-to-face interaction. Uh, rituals matter to people, and there is some measure of structure and, and intuition and tradition that brings joy. To humans. So the question to me becomes how to merge these things together into some kind of centrist, freedom-based, progressive system that still has all the right structural underpinnings to keep humans happy. This is why I think people like Jordan Peterson are resonating so powerfully right now. He's someone who, he breaks things apart, right? He still deconstructs things, but he places them back together. He he builds the person back up when he's done the atheists that I've been watching over the last couple of decades, they don't have this quality. They, they tear things down, but they don't build it back up. So you, you end up just looking around and saying, okay, what do I do now? You, all you did is just tear down everything I believed before, but you didn't leave me anything else. And I'm going to specifically give Sam, uh, a break on this um sam harris because he's been talking about spirituality for a long time I, I don't think he's been doing it in a prescriptive way like jordan is doing but i think um he has been talking about it so waking up the waking up podcast that he does that's based on a book that he wrote which is about spirituality and he's long been saying that just because you're an atheist doesn't mean you need to be uh you know, empty or devoid or non-spiritual or whatever. Um, and he doesn't mean spiritual in the sense of believing things that aren't true. He's talking about getting in touch with, with another vibe of human experience. So, um, yeah. So Jordan comes at this from a different perspective, which I really like. Uh, he comes; He's a clinical psychologist, so he's listening to problems all day long. And he's giving them advice on how to actually fix this. And as a consultant, I absolutely love this. I, I believe it's what people really actually need. Uh, when I go to a customer's, I don't just, you know, crap all over what they're doing and tell them what's wrong. That, again, th- they would just be like, okay, well, I guess I'll stop doing that then. But what do I do now? You have to tell them what to do to fix it, right? Uh, and that doesn't mean giving like 4,000 options, of like, oh, Buddhism would say this, and Mormonism would say this, and Christianity would say this, and Islam would say this, and Sands recommends this, and OWASP recommends this, and then tell them to go study all of that and make a choice. No. Uh, th- that is not helpful helpful to most people. Um, so I like that about uh, Jordan Peterson. He, he's basically taking the true consulting approach, which is giving prescriptive advice that builds on itself over time to result in actual positive change. Anyway, that's, um, that's what I think is powerful about the conservative side of things, which I never really understood before. So read a book by Jonathan Haidt, um, and some stuff by Charles Murray, uh, Charles Murray which really showed me a different side of conservatism that I would not seen before as a barrier Area uh, progressive, basically taught me that there's often value to old structures and old systems and that we don't necessarily have to keep them, but we also shouldn't discard them without thinking either because we could end up worse than we were before, um, or at least as not as good as we could be if we were more careful about what we discarded. So, um, this teaching combined with my study of evolutionary psychology, uh, really brought me to this desire for a hybrid where we maintain our progressive goals, but we're willing to use lots of different methods to get there, including a tentative embrace of certain traditional structures that give humans meaning and happiness. So I would say my views are in an evolving state of flux. Uh, especially given how much I read um, within the rough boundaries of what I talked about just now. And I'm okay with that, honestly. I mean, uh, but I'm definitely not in any sort of category that you might see on television or whatever. I mean, I voted for like Neil deGrasse Tyson (laughs) last time. And next time I'll probably vote for Andrew Yang. Um, Yeah. I think that's uh, all I'll say about that. Uh, Next question. Is there any way you can start doing videos in addition to text and audio? Um, I like the other things, but I find myself most drawn to people who can make a short YouTube video to explain things. Yeah, a number of people have been asking about this, and I think I'm actually going to try it. Uh, My biggest challenge is actually graphics and video. So these video presentations are best when they're animated or they have actual videos playing in the background. Or moving images, you know, which also a video, but, um, the better the visuals for these things, usually the better the video. And as it stands now, I'd basically be doing my own graphics, you know, using some images from the internet, not too much video, and then kind of moving through like a presentation. Um, except for it'd be an essay with visuals rather than slides with words. So I, I, I'm definitely going to try it. Um, I'm going to try one see how people like it. I'll probably do a beta test with members and go from there. Uh, But I'll keep you up to date on it. And uh, also, if there's anything particularly you want to see me try to do a video on or any formats that you think I should try to emulate or, you know, borrow from, uh, let me know. Uh, I know you've written multiple places about getting into information security, but what would you say is the primary thing employees are looking, employers are looking for when they look at good candidates? I would say the magic crossover. And I only just thought about this and wrote it this weekend, uh, to respond to this, the, the magic crossover is the combination between passion and practical experience. Passion without experience means you might not be able to execute. And experience without passion means you might just be a worker bee that doesn't push the limits towards something interesting or new. Uh, To be clear, the experience I'm talking about doesn't have to be formal. It can be tinkering. It could be projects on GitHub. It can be a blog. It could be building things with your hands, woodworking, soldering, whatever. You just have to be someone who has active projects that you cannot help but work on you've got to be someone who has active projects who can't help but work on them that is super key notice that the single metric is the tangible manifestation of passion and execution it's the sweet spot and as a bonus it's it's pretty hard to fake Next question, what would you be doing if you weren't in security? Or what would you find interesting as a field other than security? So if I were not doing information security, I would be doing data science. Uh, I don't feel like I made a bad choice uh, to get into InfoSec instead of data science because data science didn't really exist as a thing the way it does today uh, at the turn of the century when I started. Which, by the way, I think it's super cool that I started in InfoSec in the year 2000. So like at some point, someone's going to be studying InfoSec at, you know, 2070, it's going to be like, whatever, it's going to be 80 years in the future. And if I were to look back on my start, having things start at the flip of a, a decade is cool. The flip of a century is cool, but a flip of a millennium as well. I mean, that is that's pretty cool. Um, I I always trip out when I see someone started something in 1900. Um, anyway, side point. Um, so what's interesting to me about this is that, uh, I can do data science in addition to InfoSec, right? It's, it's something that intersects with everything else. Um, And it's also very tangible, right? Machine learning, which is specifically what I'm interested in, is judged directly on how well it moves a needle in the real world. If it doesn't improve an existing process or create a better one, then it's discarded. And that is really refreshing to me. So it's the combination of its power and its practicality that makes it so attractive. Uh, To me, machine learning is, without question, the single most interesting technology in decades maybe even centuries, if you factor in the ability for lots of how approachable it is, right? Um, Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people can just take it and apply it themselves to everyday problems. And and it's becoming more and more true every day. And last question here is, uh, which career path would you recommend, red team or blue team? And my answer to this is that doing either one without the other is like clapping with one hand. I would argue that you cannot truly understand attack or defense unless you have some experience doing both. And this this is critical right here. The the reason this is true is because a big part of the lessons that you get on either side come from the perspective rather than the techniques. So my advice here is to start with whichever is closest to you and most available to to do, and then spend six months to a year getting good at that, and then look for ways to flip to the other side. So it doesn't matter if you start with one or the other, just get good at it and then do the other one. All right. Thanks to all the members who sent in questions and feel free to send in more as you have them. And uh, we'll do another one in six to 12 months, I imagine. All right. Next section, ideas, trends, and analysis. Got a bunch of essays here. I put out Uh, rewards programs are another way we pay for things with our data. So we all know that we pay for free services by providing data like Google and Facebook, but rewards programs are the same thing. So you might have a rewards program at like Outback or I don't know what other places have it. Um, Starbucks, Outback outback starbucks whatever when you do that and you get a discount it's because you've provided them data so you're exchanging money for them knowing more about you so just keep that in mind I'm not saying not to do it i'm just saying it's a cool instance of that same exchange uh the future belongs to those with grit this is about grit and uh the coming future where the rich is separating from the poor And the rich are largely um, those who have self-discipline, which is also a synonym for grit, or at least strongly correlated. Uh, Concise argument and evidence that Steven Pinker is wrong about how good things are. This is a response to a a debate I've been having with a friend about uh, whether or not my belief in a problematic current state or the future is kind of religion-based, and there's not really any good backing for it. Um, because Steven Pinker just came out with a book, and he said everything's amazing. Therefore, I need as much data, or at least good data, uh, some amount of good data to show the difference. And I took that as a an honest challenge and a good point. So I'm basically going to be collecting data to try to support this position that I have. And if I can't collect enough data because there isn't any good data, well, I'm I'm just gonna change my mind. Um, So that's what that post is for. Uh, My current top three intellectual and creative challenges. Just a bit of a personal post there. And um, people are upset that AT&T continues to lay people off, saying it makes no sense given the fact that they're making great profits. I don't think many people realize that companies aren't here to give us jobs. They are here to make money. If they can make more money by firing everyone, that is precisely what they will do. And many, many companies are trying their hardest and spending millions of dollars to try and do exactly that. Um, productivity still goes up if you replace everyone with automation and robotics and all this. Uh, I mean, like, for example, we've lost hundreds of thousands of jobs in manufacturing and we're going to lose, you know, hundreds of thousands more, but we are still producing as much now as ever. Um, We are still a manufacturing powerhouse. Um, So what, what is good for companies and productivity and GDP is not necessarily good for people. And that's a super crucial point here. Discovery. Tons of links here. These links are better than usual. Again, week, weeks are different, but uh, five things you didn't know you can do with Nmap. That was actually mine. Just the, some cool stuff about Nmap NSC scripting. A cheat sheet for password crackers. Some super cool stuff in there. Uh, manga guide to statistics. I really want to read this one. It looks like it's a comic book form of how to teach statistics. Again, I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Uh, Blog post here on enumerating AWS roles through assume role. Uh, A little tidbit. Seven is the largest prime number followed by a cubic number because eight is two cubed. And that is evidently the last number that has this property. Uh, Difference between deductive and inductive reasoning. This one was mine. I wrote it recently. Cloud diagrams and notes, visual explanations of AWS services. This thing is fantastic. I just tweeted about it and people are loving it. Um, I forgot the guy's name, but um, got the link here. It's fantastic. Uh, A Chromium-based command line alternative to curl. This is a post that I did. It's a technical post. It's about how to use Chromium instead of curl to pr- pull web pages programmatically and to do it, um, pretty fast and also to parse JavaScript and get a full render of the page, including a full Dom, uh, output, uh, Picular P I C U L A R is Google, but for colors. So you type in forest, you type in city, you type in happy, you type in sky, you type in whatever, And it gives you a palette of colors associated with that thing. The site is unbelievable and it looks great. It's just a really cool project. Uh, Picular. And PAKU, PAKU, PAKU is Rhino Security's AWS Penetration Testing Toolkit. Threatfeeds.io, a free and open source threads feed resource. Burp replica. Burp Replicator is a pl- uh, plug-in for Burp that helps developers reproduce issues discovered by security testers. I've got this new thing. It's super hard to do, but I, I think that anytime someone finds a vuln, they should have a reproducibility validation, um, proof of concept, video, or like a workflow included. So basically you don't have a bug unless you have a replication system, almost like science where it's not real unless other people can replicate. Um, almost like science. That's funny. Um, replicator, uh, social mapper, a social media enumeration and correlation tool based on facial recognition. That's not scary at all. Packet whisper stealthily, Exfiltrate data from a network using multiple techniques. Notes Um, for anyone who wanted to support the show but prefers to use Patreon, you can now use Patreon to support me over there. Uh, Patreon actually bought Memberful, which is what I used when I got away from Patreon. So I left Patreon because they were being crazy, Uh, went to Memberful, and now Patreon bought Memberful and they apologized. So we're all happy now holding hands life is good. So you can support me on Patreon. It's just whatever, uh, Patreon slash Daniel Miesler, I guess. Uh, currently deep diving on machine learning. I have never been good at math and now I know why. So I, I really wasn't taught with the exception of one professor, uh, Carl Mueller, who was just awesome. And he's a friend, uh, mentor, uh, just a super cool guy uh, keeps me sound when we used to debate a lot. And, um, he was my calculus teacher and I was always asking why, and he would actually respond with the reason. And for that reason, I actually liked calculus, but I didn't get that in algebra. I didn't get that in geometry. I didn't get that anywhere else. Um, but now that I'm interested in machine learning, I've been studying the math and, uh, now there's YouTube (laughs) and YouTube people, produce series and it's animated and they describe in detail and they move up and down the stack of intuitive and technical discussion and explanation in a way that resonates strongly. And they, they answer explicitly the reason why we're learning this. Uh, in particular, um, Andrew, um, Ang's course, uh, last name NG, Uh, Stanford course is fantastic. I also super love for machine learning and neural networks, uh, particularly, um, three blue, one gray. Uh, And it's just the number three, uh, the number one, three blue, one gray. And it's actually for his eye. Uh, one of his irises has three quarters blue and one quarter gray. Um, but he's super smart and, um, explain things really well. Um, and I'm doing a bunch of these videos and I'm uh, doing some stuff in Python to learn the stuff. It's uh, fantastic. I, I'm just having so much fun with it. Um, and I'm thinking about getting one of these keyboards. It's a mechanical keyboard made for Macs. Most are seem to be made for Windows and gamers, but this one's for Macs. So I'm thinking about getting it. I don't remember the name of it, but there's a link here in the show in the newsletter. And recommendations. If you've been skeptical about whether or not to um, automation is really going to affect human jobs, or whether AI is really any different than previous technical innovations, like you know, agricultural revolution and that kind of stuff, um, or the industrial revolution, or all these other transitions that we've gone through and we've survived, this video called "Humans Need Not Apply." is the best short intro to AI and automation that you could possibly look at. It's fantastic. Um, The video is called Humans Need Not Apply, and it's also in the show notes slash newsletter. And the aphorism for this week, if you are lonely when you're alone, you are in bad company. If you are lonely when you're alone, you are in bad company. Jean-Paul Sartre. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. Don't forget, you can also get the show, including all the links to the things I mentioned, in text form by signing up for the email newsletter at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter or via the blog post for each episode. I'll see you next time.